0: Let's pray. God, we come this morning because we have, seek, we have sought you as our rock of refuge. God, we come this morning. Um, some of our worlds are turned upside down here this morning. Some of our worlds have been turned upside down in days and years past. But we come this morning saying we have sought refuge in you before, and so we seek refuge in you again today. Whether it's large things, just mountains, we don't know how we could ever cross them, we could ever climb them, or whether it's the small things that we deal with in the day-to-day. God, we come this morning declaring to ourselves and declaring to each other that you are a good rock of refuge, and so we come to you again today. Where else can we go for safety? Where else can we go for our hearts to be healed? Where else can we go for a joy that lasts and that the world can't touch? We come again today saying to ourselves that you are going to be our rock of refuge. Some of us maybe today say that from a a place of faith, not a place of experience, saying uh, God is going to be my rock and my refuge. Again, I pray, God, that that you would meet us here in this place, in this time. I pray that you would meet us once more and say, yes, I will be your rock of refuge throughout the ages. As I have always been, I'm going to continue to be your rock of refuge. God, we, uh, we declare today that you have been our hope. For some of us, you have been our hope since our youth, our whole lives. We have sought you, and so we do that again today. We don't want to stop the race short before we finish we don't want to stop the race short before we get to see our great hope. So today, God, we pray that those who are young here today would make it their choice to seek their hope in you, that their whole lives would be spent pursuing you and not pursuing money and not pursuing things, not pursuing the, the recognition of people, popularity from the world we wouldn't seek accomplishment in doing things to prove that we are worth something. God, I pray for those today that are young, that they will put their hope in you and seek their hope in you. God, I pray for those today in old age. God, I pray that the race would not be cut short, but that we all would seek you even in these days. God, we pray that you would use the word that's spoken, the, the lessons from our Sunday school classes today. God, I pray that you would use the songs that we sing and the scriptures that are read. pray that you would use all of these things to point our hope towards you, even to the very end of our races. God, we, I pray that today you would remind us that you are righteous in everything that you do. That that would be our great hope that Satan wouldn't be able to accuse you in our minds and in our hearts but that we would be settled in our hearts saying, thank you, God, that you are righteous in everything that you do so that we can trust and find a safe place to put our heads. A safe place because we know that our God is righteous, that he never makes a mistake, that he never does evil, he never turns his back on us. God, I pray that you would would remind us today of your righteousness so that we from the young to the old we'll seek you as our rock of refuge. God we pray for the churches around us in the in the town and in the county and in the communities that are around us. God we pray that you would be worshipped. We do pray that you we would, you would start with us that you would make us worshipers, make me a worshiper. But that you Lord would raise up joy and praise and worship all over this area. We pray that you would raise up hope in families that don't have hope. God, I pray that you would restore lives that have been broken by sin, lives that have been broken by abuse, by abandonment. God, I pray that, that today you would use the churches around us, use the worship, use the preaching, use the community and the fellowship, use all of these things so that this area may be glad with a true and lasting gladness that our this whole area would not put its hope in in things or in culture or in history, but that our friends and our neighbors, our co-workers, our families would seek their good and their hope in you today. God, I pray for those here in our church who are sick. I pray that your word says you are a rock of refuge, that you will be a rock of refuge for those who wake up in the middle of the night from illness, those who go to the doctor's appointments this week because of their illnesses. God, I pray that you would be a rock of refuge for them, reminding them of your presence and of your unchanging righteousness. Pray for those who are here today in our church and in our family who are dealing with financial trouble, I pray that you would show yourself to be a rock of refuge for them. And that if you clothe the flowers of the field and you feed the birds of the air, how much more are you going to feed and clothe your people? I pray that you would be that rock of refuge for all of the crises that we deal with. pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in high school, I got bitten by this bug where I dreamed that I was going to become a Navy SEAL, and you know, now there's like documentaries all over the place. If you actually go to our bedroom, Emma made a joke about this recently, if you go to our bedroom, there's a bookshelf next to my bed that's got a number of books about Navy SEALs. Um, so in high school, I got bitten by this, oh, I want to, I know we have a number of Navy vets, here today. I wanted to be a Navy SEAL really bad, so I started doing workouts and taking cold showers, and like everything was, I want to be a Navy SEAL. You know, it's kind of weird to now be almost too old to apply, (laughs) and be like, oh man, how did I get to this point where they wouldn't even accept me as an old man? Now, so I dreamed and would, I would swim uh, a ton I would do pull-ups and then go swim, I would take cold showers, I would do all of these different things because I wanted to pass and exceed the Navy SEAL fitness test. Ended up going down, obviously, a different road in my life, but after my sophomore year of college, the place that I was working at had a rope, like the, the big climbing rope. I know some of you with the presidential fitness test probably remember these kind of ropes at school. And this rope was like a 20-foot rope, and I was like, this is my chance to show what I can do with this rope. And so I got to the top of this 20-foot rope, and then I realized, I know how to get up here, but how do you get down? Like, if I let go, I'm going to break my leg. I don't know, like, the, the method. I know the method of shimmying up, but is there, like, a reverse shimmy? Now I know the difference, but I'm like 20 feet up. And you know, I was like, this was really dumb to get up here and have no idea how I'm going to get down. So I decided, well, I don't have gloves on, but Navy SEALs will like release and use their hands as brakes. And they'll, so they'll just start squeezing. Well, I just got going faster and faster and my hands just started heating up and ended up burning my hands on the way down. But at least I didn't break my leg. I... I'm telling you this story, as I was thinking of this story, because in this situation, the impossible part was not the going up part. It was actually the coming down part. There have been times in my life where I was rock climbing, and I was like, this is impossible. I can't go up. In this situation, though, with the rope, I, I knew how to get up there, but it was really important that I get down without breaking my leg, breaking my neck in the process. And so, but it was just the impossible thing because I didn't know what to do. I imagine some of us today, there are some areas of our life where we know the thing that we're supposed to do, but the doing of it is the impossible part, right? It's, it's when we face slander from a family member, a loved one, or a coworker, and we know from First Peter how we're supposed to deal with it, but the doing of it's really hard. I, how am I going to, you, maybe you're here today and you go, you don't know what she said about me, or you don't know what he said about me, and I have to make sure people don't believe her or believe him. Maybe you're here today. Maybe there's some area of temptation in your life where you know God's word is very clear about what obedience is, but the doing of it feels so impossible. Maybe there's, the, the, the Bible says things like, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience, and you go, patience is beyond me. You don't know what it's like at work. You don't know what it's like at home. You don't know what my spouse is like. You don't know what this... And so we can look at the Bible and say, yeah, we know what God's Word says. But this is so impossible. Today as we are in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 21, we're looking at the story, walking with Abraham. We're looking at this story where we learn what, what it looks like when obedience to God seems so impossible. It's not the thing I know. That I don't, it's not that you don't know the direction to go. It's a, God, this is so hard. God, this is so hard to obey you in this. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 21 where we see Abraham face this kind of issue, this kind of scenario where the obedience is so incredibly hard. Genesis chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. And this is in some sense like the payoff. We've been for weeks, if not a few months now, going through the story of Abraham where he's been waiting for the promise. And we think, oh, the promise is here. And then 21 gets here and it says, but obedience is even then, is so hard. Look at verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as He had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what He had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Let's pray. God, as we open your word, help us to hear what you have to say help us to hear the promise help us to look in the direction that you point us in Jesus name amen so here is the this is the payoff in Abraham's life he's been wandering he's been in Egypt he's been deceiving or half tr- telling or half telling the truth but fully deceiving he's been he's been at risk he's he's had strife between him and his nephew. And finally, the promise of God comes true. But I, I want you to notice here in this first scene, even in verse 1, it says, that now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. This story starts with God does the thing that he said he would do. This feels like the culmination of everything in Abraham's life. Sarah says, I'm going to name him Isaac. Remember, God said, Abraham, you laughed, you'll name your son Isaac. Laughter. Sarah, you laughed, you're going to name your son Isaac, which means laughter. And so everything comes true. Sarah is filled with joy. Abraham circumcises his son. Everything is great. And then we get to verse 8. Your, your Bible probably has a heading in between there. There's, there's nothing wrong with putting a heading there just to kind of give you a roadmap for where we're at. But these verses, verse 7 and verse 8, go next to each other. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. For that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son, Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring early the next morning Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar he set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy she went on to her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba so the story starts with here's the fulfillment of all of the promise but in one sense the, the problems continue you see Isaac's name means laughter and the word that's used for what uh, for what Ishmael does is Ishmael, it's a different form of laughter. He mocks this son of the promise. Ishmael's probably 14, 15 years old. Isaac's two or three years old. And so so Sarah gets upset, gets alarmed, but it becomes obvious there are now two sons of Abraham. Which son is going to take the lead? Which son is going to be the son of the promise? And so verse 11 says, The matter distressed Abraham greatly. This is the crisis in the passage. Is it Isaac or is it Ishmael? Abraham loves them both. Abraham is like, this is my son we're talking about here. You want want me to send away my son? You want me to send away Ishmael? This is actually something that in, in the law of the time, in the, in the area that they're in, was unthinkable. You're not allowed to send away the son of a concubine, or a, I'm sorry, a slave wife. You're not allowed to do what Sarah wants Abraham to do here. And so Abraham is like, you want me to send away my son? And so God comes to him and notice that God makes a promise to Abraham. That I will make him into an... God is going to do something in Ishmael's life. Abraham, I'm not just saying, oh, it doesn't matter. It's Abraham, trust me with your son, Ishmael. Because I, it is through Isaac, the word of your offspring, your seed. The Bible uses this word seed regularly. That the seed of Eve is going to crush Satan's head. Abraham, the seed is coming through Isaac. So Abraham sends Hagar and Ishmael off, and they wander in the land of Beersheba. Verse 15 then shows us what happens. When the water of the skin was gone, she, Hagar, put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bowshot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. I've heard this story my whole life, and I never really paid a whole lot of attention because Hagar didn't seem so important. But here, she's important to God. The Ishmael is important to God in this scene. Imagine a 14 or 15-year-old boy thirsting to death, crying underneath a bush. Notice that the story never refers to his name until the angel comes and says, God has heard. Because that's the boy's name. When he was born, he was given the name God Hears because God will hear Hagar or God heard Hagar and now God hears him again. And so Ishmael, he doesn't really live up to his name. God lives up to Ishmael's name in this story. We're in this heart-rending, where we can imagine like taking your son away because you've been sent away, then watching him die. She's crying out, and God says, I hear you. I hear you. And then it concludes in verse, verse 20 and 21. says, God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. There, she's from Egypt. They lived to the south. Down in between Israel and Egypt, that's where this nation that God is going to make of him comes up. But the distinguishing factor in Ishmael's life is that God cares for him. He doesn't obey. He doesn't kill giants. He doesn't deliver God's people through the Red Sea. He doesn't do anything, but God shows himself to be kind. What I want you to notice from this is that this story is the pushing and pulling in Abraham's heart between Isaac and Ishmael. The crisis in this story is who is going to be the child of the promise? How is the promise of God going to come? Is it Isaac? Is it Ishmael? Can we somehow live at peace? But here in this story, though he is generous to Ishmael, God, God's blessing is going to come to the world through Isaac. Isaac. I want to show you three lessons in this from Abraham's difficult obedience. You see, we usually think of Abraham's difficult obedience when he's called to sacrifice Isaac, but he's already been called to sacrifice a son here. This is the first time Abraham is called to sacrifice a son. Give up his son and, say, and God say, will you let me take care of him? And what I want to show you today, three lessons for difficult obedience from this passage. First lesson is be clear about the way forward. Because everything that happens in this story happens by God's Word. Verse 1 says, "...the Lord was gracious to Sarah as He had said." The Lord did for Sarah what He had promised. Throughout this story, it's filled with God said, God said, God commanded, God said. This whole story is God saying, I will do this, I will do this. And all of Abraham's obedience is caught up in him listening to God and doing what God says. God keeps his promise here. This calls us and says the way forward in the Christian life is to constantly be forming our lives by God's word and not be like, well, what do I think? Like, if Abraham took the cues from his culture, then he would have kept the son, Ishmael. But God said, Ishmael, give him to me. I will take care of him. I will provide for him. I will care for him. Ishmael, put him in my hands. This entire story is... Built in the context of God keeping his promises and Abraham living in response to that. Abraham constantly responding to the promises of God. And that is for you and I the only way forward in the Christian life. The only way forward in the Christian life is to hear and respond. Hear it from God in his word and respond to God in his word. The only way forward for our kids and our grandkids or your great-grandkids in the Christian life is to hear God's word and respond to it. Difficult obedience can, when, I'm sorry, when obedience is difficult, it can be tempting to go, well, what's my gut say? What is my feeling here? But here, Abraham models for us. God said, I will take care of your son. I'm gonna trust him and I'm gonna send him with God. You see, I don't think Abraham was just trying to keep peace in his house when it says early the next morning. I think Abraham said, okay, God, if you're going to do it, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to send him into your hands. You see, your Christian life will advance or not based on receiving and responding to God's Word. Our, churches, our church will advance or not in the Christian life based on responding, hearing and responding to God's Word. It will, it's always been that way. And if we're going to take one of the lessons of Abraham, it's to say, okay, just like Abraham, we're going to hear God's word and we we'll respond to it. And we're going to keep that order, constantly evaluating ourselves by hearing and responding to God's word. A number of years ago, I heard, uh, I heard a story about Sears Roebuck houses. Some of you guys remember those houses. Maybe you know somebody who lives in one. The first time I ever heard about a kit house, I was in Menards, and since I didn't grow up in the Midwest, I didn't go, I was an adult before I ever went into a Menards, and I was like, that's cool, they sell whole kits, that's $160,000, and I was like, I just can't imagine what that looks like in your front yard. Well, then I found out later about these Sears Roebuck houses. What I find interesting is when they, in the original kits, when they would send them out with an instruction book, you see, everything's already pre-cut and already ready-made, and it's numbered, and there's all of these different things. Some of you guys know about these. Everything in the house is there, and, it's, and you just have to follow the instructions and assemble it. But the very first thing that the booklet says is, don't listen to anybody else. If somebody walks by and says, you should do it this way, the instruction book says, don't listen to them. I mean, imagine trying to build, you've got a Sears Roebuck house with a little kit, and you've got a cousin who builds houses, and he knows what he's talking about, and he says, that, that board's the wrong length. Why don't you cut it off? Imagine what you've got. You've got a mess at that point. You've spent $2,000 on your home kit, and somebody said, change the siding, and then all of a sudden, nothing fits. You know, change the stairs. So the, the first instruction in the booklet says, don't Listen to anybody else. I think from this story with Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, the first lesson that we get is don't listen to anybody else who says, go this way. Listen to what God has to say. Trust in His promises. And when He says, send the boy away, say, okay, I'm going to trust you. But now we go, okay, how? How? Joe, that's hard. That's hard. How could I trust him like that when obedience gets hard? That's the second lesson I want to show you. The second lesson we learned for difficult obedience from this is trust the God of Ishmael. Trust the God of Ishmael. His name means God hears. His name means God hears. This story makes it clear that the promise of God is not going to come through Ishmael. And yet God loves and cares for and provides and protects him anyway. How can we trust that difficult obedience will be worth it if we look and see that the God who loves those who can't accomplish great things for him, those that can't fulfill all of the plans of God, we can trust that kind of God when our obedience gets hard. I want you to notice here in this story, I want you to notice your translation might use the word also or and. When God speaks to Abraham in verse 13, he says, I, my translation puts also later. Your translation might put it a little bit earlier. But verse 13, God has said, it's through Isaac the promise is coming. Verse 13 says, but also I will make the son of the slave into a nation also. And I'm going to take care of Ishmael, God says. Sure, Ishmael isn't the biggest part of my plan, but my heart is big enough for him. My heart and my kindness is big enough for Ishmael. So Abraham, I am going to take care of him too. This, Ishmael's story ends up being God was with the boy as he grew up. There's not a lot of stories in the Bible where it's said of somebody, and God was with him. It happens with Joseph when he's in Egypt. But here in this story, the distinguishing factor in Ishmael's life is this idea of and and also, is that God's heart is big enough to take care of Ishmael, and so we can trust that kind of God. You see, God extravagantly blesses Ishmael because of, for God's sake, because he's the kind of God who would do that kind of thing. And so Abraham calls to you and I today and say, can you trust the God who took care of my son Ishmael when he didn't have to? Can you trust the God of Ishmael who who said, I'll take care of him also? You see, Abraham then gives up his son early the next morning, quickly in obedience because he trusts the heart of God. And that the question for you and I is, will we trust God too? Will we trust him too and say, okay, God, if you're a God who loves and cares for and includes people like Ishmael in the promise, then you can include me. And you can include my kids, and you can include my grandkids, and you can include my neighbors, and you can include my coworkers, and you can include those that have hurt me and wronged me. God, I'm going to trust that the God of Ishmael has a big enough heart for me and my family and for my circle. You see, Romans chapter 4 speaks to this. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. says what does scripture say Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness as we have slowly gone through this story we've slowly gone through Abraham's story we've seen all of his mistakes we've seen all of his sin we've seen that by our standards he is not a great guy but by God's standard he did the one thing God wanted is he trusted him he trusted him and so Abraham speaks to us and says, don't just trust fate, trust the God of Ishmael. Don't just, just trust that things will work out. Don't even just, just give up in uh, cynicism and say, uh, whatever happens, happens. Here God says, will you trust me that I will take care of the boy? Will you trust me? And so the second point in this, the second lesson for difficult obedience is trust the God of Ishmael. The third lesson that we find from this passage, the third lesson for difficult obedience is look to the line of Isaac. Look to the line of Isaac. You see, the God who who includes Ishmael in his blessing, and who loves Ishmael, and who provides for Ishmael, and who was with the boy as he grows up, still doesn't say, Abraham, it's going to be okay. I'm going to take care of Ishmael, no big deal. Instead, God says, no, the offspring, the seed, the promised one is coming through Isaac, God is calling you and I and saying, I'm going to distinguish that I can include and love and bless Ishmael. But don't look to him for the promise. Don't look to him for deliverance. Don't look to him for all things to be made right and for the kingdom to come back. Don't look at flesh, Ishmael. Instead, look at Isaac, the promise. God points to Isaac there in verse 12. And says, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. It's through Isaac that the promise is coming. Not just, uh, this is the one that you're going to give your belongings to. It's that this is the one that I'm going to give the promise through. I'm going to give the inheritance through. I'm bringing the Christ through Isaac. And so God is calling Abraham in this difficult obedience of giving up his son Ishmael, saying, but look to the line of Isaac for your salvation. God is saying there will be no salvation from Ishmael. There will be no salvation from flesh. It's only from the child of the promise. And so Abraham is called, though he trusts in the God of Ishmael, to look to the promise of his son Isaac. And to say, okay, this is the way that God is going to bless the world. This is the way that God is going to undo all the wrongs. This is the way that God is going to wipe away every tear from every eye. Not from flesh, but from promise. From Isaac. The question is, will you look to the promise today? It's so easy to look to flesh to be the deliverer. It's so easy to look to flesh to be our strength. It's so easy for us to look to flesh to this is how the world can be right, made right if I could just get these things. And God says, give that up and look to the child of the promise in Isaac. Look to the child. Of, will you stop looking at people and possessions and things to deliver you and instead trust that God says it's going to be through Isaac but I'm going to bless. Look, through the, look, through, look to I the line of Isaac because that's where the seed is going to come from. Maybe you're here and you say, what does that mean? What does it mean to look to Jesus? What does it mean to look to the line of Isaac? What does it mean? <clears throat> I'll tell you in four, four steps. The story of the Bible is the story that God made the world. That's step one. God made the world and that makes him the ruler over it and everything in it. If you make it, you own it. That's the way we, that we live. That's the world that we understand, and that belongs to this world, too. And because God made Adam and Eve and every human after them, then that means he's the one who sets the rules and is in charge. He told Adam and Eve, and he told you and I, he told us what obedience looked like. He told Adam and Eve, do not eat from this one tree. And Adam and Eve said, no, we will not live your way. We're going to follow our own rules. We're going to do our own thing. And so sin entered the world through Adam and Eve's sin and has spread to all of us so that all of us say, no, God, we will not follow your rule. We want our own kingdoms. We want our own world. We will do our own thing. That's step two. Um, And step two says that that sin that enters into the world brings physical death and eternal death in hell forever. Leaving us with a problem. Who can save us? And the story of the Bible, started in Genesis 3, we see it here with this word seed, is that God promised he would send an offspring who would one day live the life that we should live, die the death that we should die, and be raised to life. That's step three. Jesus is the offspring that lived under God's rule the way that we ought to live under God's rule, but then died the death outside of God's rule that we should have. Step four, the Bible says that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection become ours when we repent of our sin and trust in Jesus only to save us and follow him as our Savior and Lord. Repenting is a changing of the mind, saying, God, I have lived with you as my enemy. I have lived as your rebel. But now I'm going to turn. I'm going to accept Jesus' life in my place, death in my place, and resurrection promise. And now I'm going to follow him as Savior and Lord. That is the story of the Bible. That is what it means to look to the line of Isaac. If you have done that today, then right now you are standing in the promise that Abraham longed to see. But if today is the day that you need to do that for the first time, let today be the day of salvation for you. This line of promise, this offspring of Abraham, means that all of us who have looked to Jesus for salvation are now standing in this promise knowing that our salvation in Christ is secure. And so then that becomes the motive for the Christian life. That becomes the motive for our obedience when we are clear about the way forward, that God's word it will be our guide and we must respond to it. When we trust the God of Ishmael and look to the line of Isaac, then that becomes the fuel for those difficult moments of obedience where we know that the curse has been taken away, that a new power has come in and that we get to live under the rule of God and live in the obedience of Christ, loving an unloving or even unfaithful spouse. We get the chance to love and to forgive and to pour our lives out for those that hurt us. We get the chance, we get the power to then face the temptation that we bear every day, not in our own strength, but with the God of Ishmael by our side, with the salvation from the line of Isaac already secure. So this passage calls to you and I to look to the promise of Isaac while we trust the God of Ishmael. This is God's word to us. This is God's law. This is his commandment that we listen to his word, that we trust his heart, and that we look to his promised Christ. Maybe right now you say, okay, I can do that. You have a plan for this week. You have some confidence like this, this week I'm going to be better. That temptation's going to come and I'm going to be okay. I feel like I'm going to flare up in anger, but you know what? Nope, I'm going to be good. But what will you do when you forget this week? What happens when doubt creeps in and crowds out your belief that God is good and that he intends good for you? What happens when you find that you have looked to people, possessions, or pleasure to make you happy? Where is the good news for you? The good news for you is that if you are in Christ, then Jesus already looked to and kept God's word for you. He leaned on it when Satan tempted him in the wilderness in your place. Jesus trusted his father's heart all the way to the cross, praying in the garden before his trials, even from the cross. And he did it for you. Jesus believed his father's promise, Psalm 1610, that he would not abandon him to the grave, and he did it in your place. So that this week, you can obey God's word, trust his heart, and look to his promise from the record of Christ, not for the record of Christ. So then those difficult moments of obedience are done from the record of Christ, not to try and earn the record of Christ. And that sounds like freedom. This passage calls to us to look to the promise of Isaac while we trust the God of Ishmael. I want you to imagine how your life would be different if you in those dark moments, trusted that the God of Ishmael is with you. When those clouds creep in, that doubt creeps in that God does not love you, that he does not care for you, that he has forgotten you, that you're on your own, that you have to provide for yourself, that you have to protect yourself. Imagine how that moment is transformed when you know down deep in your heart the God of Ishmael is here. Imagine what changes in your life, how different your life would be if the settled attitude of your heart was looking to the line of promise. Not to belongings. Oh, if I could just get some more money, some more land, a new house, a different job. The security of my life is no longer out there, but it's in Jesus Christ. He is the promised one. Imagine how different your life would be when you say, what else could you add? I have the offspring of Abraham, and he's with me always. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would be a church that is constantly trusting the God of Ishmael and looking to the promise of Isaac. It's so easy for us to be distracted by good and impressive and even important things. I pray that we would be impressed and convinced of this one thing. In Jesus' name, amen.